Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey friends, welcome to the Things and Bagels podcast. This is Andre and... Um, Owen and I recorded this episode about our thoughts on Wimbledon in a pretty conversational way, so it didn't really have as much of a structure as we normally try to have, but bear with us, it's still a pretty interesting episode, I think, and um, it's pretty much the welcome from Owen to the podcast from uh, a bit of a period that he took off, um, but yeah, welcome Owen and enjoy this podcast. The one thing that frustrates me wasn't necessarily the final of this tournament, I thought this tournament was brilliant. It was just how much um, people are so quick to like turn the attention to the ATP right away just because we finally got the Akras Djokovic match. When yeah. I think that the WTA this year has has been phenomenal. Like Roland Garros is like way better than the the, than the women's time uh, yeah. tournament, in my opinion. I feel like the semifinals and final is like unbeatable. Like the I don't even remember exactly who was in the semis, like in the men's in the men's side, but obviously Djokovic and, and Akraz I don't even remember who was on the other side at this point it, it, it was like Rude and Zverev and Rude like demolished him terrible yeah, exactly yeah so it's like it, no chance like what Karolina Mukova did was ridiculous I don't even know who she, she lost to like in this tournament but I know it was a battle um, and just what Fiontek did in this tournament just like really like toughing it toughening it out and just like trying to win a three and just not playing her best surface like but just trying to find a way Great, absolutely great uh, number one mentality. Four-time yep. Grand Slam champion. What Jabert did was phenomenal. It's it's just, it, it was a real shame that she didn't win that final. But also, so happy because Von Drusova finally got some sort of closure like in that in that regard because so many injuries as well like in, in her career, so many issues. Like She reached the final before, and it's not like, She's one of those that reaches the final and then never again, in a sense. Obviously, at that point, he was like that, but he was for reasons beyond her control. So it's just looking at the WTA and just like drawing conclusions from that final alone. It's no. so, so simplistic. It's like, it's not holistic at all. Like, it does not yeah. represent well, how incredible the WTA has been this past like three, four years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think of Juan Ignacio said this on Twitter, um, but I, it's like it's a lot of it is that best of five thing. Like they, um, the like the men's final is like this four hour forty minute epic. There's a lot of time to watch it. There are a lot of time. For, there's a lot of time for twists and turns, and it, then it just dominates the conversation. And yeah, the the women's final is over quickly, and uh, the men's final just kind of swept aside the. The conversations about like the amazing women's semis and just an outstanding tournament as a whole. I mean, you talked about Igor Swiatek. Like, 
I agree. The way she battled, the way she beat Benchich. And then Alina Spitalina comes along oh and basically beats Sviantek with her forehand, which Spitalina, like, amazing player, really well-rounded. We don't think of her as having, like, a cannon forehand, but in this match, she did. And then you have all the conversations, like, big three, big three with Sviantek, Rabakina, and uh, Sabalenka. And then you have Ons Jabur come along and beat two of them back-to-back. I, I mean, for me, like you said, it was... I, it was gutting that Jabir didn't win the tournament. I mean, I was very happy for Vondrosova. She played really, really well. Unquestionably deserved it. But Jabir, I thought she was going to lose to Rabakina again. I, th- I thought Rabakina's serve was going to be too good on grass. She loses a tiebreak, comes back and wins 6-1 in the third. Then I thought she was going to lose to Sabalenka. Just because Sabalenka, like... I Just the weight of her game is insane. The weight on all of her shots, the power, it's like certain players come up against her and it seems like the only thing you can do is just be like pushed out of the way you know what i mean by yeah. all that power. um and jabur like the way she won that match was crazy she was on the brink of losing in the second set she was down a set she's down four three with a break and the way she turned it around with just amazing returning of serve um it was crazy and um after after she won and uh blair henley beat me to the punch on this by tweeting it i thought like it's a big four like Javer has like unseated two of the big three. Like it's she deserve she deserves to be right up there, even though the other three of them are all major champions and she isn't yet. Yeah. Hope. Um and then that final was just really tough to watch. I think I I think there are a lot of reasons that it happened the way it did. I mean, Vondrosova had beaten Javer a couple times this year. That was one of the of them. Javer was probably physically and mentally exhausted. Um and playing under a ton of pressure. Um, but it was just, I thought she was the story of the the tournament in general. Oh, yeah. Like, not men's and women's after after those two wins in the quarters and the semis. And so to watch her story end like that was just very, very difficult. Um, and um, I wonder if that's another reason that the men's final kind of dominated the conversation is a lot of people were just kind of eager to move on from that feeling. Um, yeah, true. Of of one. Of wanting her to win and um i'm not that's just a guess i'm not sure if that's necessarily yeah. correct but i think yeah. i think that the it, it the men's final really did add like the sense of like a perfect narrative like the young guy yeah. comes in and just like in his first final of whatever like he's number one and it's the passing of the torch moment as we discussed uh on twitter and elsewhere but like um when it comes to Jabara, it's just like a sense of like it falls flat at the end because it's like you're yeah. watching her coming back like this. You would have been the same, for example, if Svitolina were to actually win that that tournament. So like, if it was a, a Svitolina uh, Jabara final, either way, it would have been like a story yeah. of the tournament, regardless. Yeah, because it, it was going to be such a, such a ridiculous like you know situation that was like, oh my gosh, like you have like Jabara like all so much like riding on on her like so much history coming through and. Um, the injuries that she's been through and, you know, just coming short like last year as well, twice. Um, and then Svitolina, she, you know, had a baby, <laughs> comes back and just like reaches Roland Garros quarterfinals, then comes in and reaches like the Wimbledon semifinals. Like if she had done, if either of them had done that, like that would just be so many stories to write about it. Like, whereas like from Jerusalem winning, I don't feel like anyone was really prepared to to follow that story like unfold the way you did for her 
which for her is amazing. Like she's a great champion. She yeah. also had battle injuries, but it's just like other people had out outshone her, like story wise, yeah. narrative wise, um, not necessarily tennis wise. Because honestly, I was looking, uh, I was watching some of the final and uh, some of the way that she played against Vitolina as well, and the way that she battles for every point. Like she's fast. She defends so well. Uh, she yeah, serves incredibly well. Or and I was like, "Wow, what? Like, what do you have? To, what can you do? Like, what do you do to win a point against yeah. this this player?" And Jabra, at her best, like, could have found many ways to win points. But it's yeah. that moment when she gets tied. You can see in her that she doesn't. She has too many ideas, and that's not not every time chooses the right one. <laughs> and she gets increasingly frustrated by that. So it's the way that it unfolded that kind of felt a little fell a little flat unfortunately for this one tournament but the arrest of the tournament was magnificent yeah and i think this this is gonna sound like i'm trying to take away from, from what von Drosova did and i don't want to do that because what well, like you said she played this kind of baffling brand of tennis for her opponents it was like impossible to solve um just like picks them apart with like variety and defense and it um and she's got a great story coming back from injuries. Like her husband was cat sitting and had to like come down uh, just for the final. Like amazing, like very very good feel good story. But I think Jabir and Svitolina, like the two kind of more uh, like the bigger focal points of the tournament. I mean, Vondrosova beats them both, and you could argue that in both of those matches, the loser played their worst match of the tournament. You know, like. Yeah. Spitalina, I think, kind of like Jabir, was just it. You know, you read, you flatline a little bit. It's like the Jimmy Connors thing after, uh, after he wins that insane match against whoever it was, like Aaron Crickstein or something, um, where like he's he's super old and the crowd is like rooting him on, and he wins these five setters, and then I think Jim Courier just like demolished him in the semifinals. Like you you hit a point where the tank is just kind of empty. And I feel like that happened to Svitolina in the semis, and then I feel like it happened to Jabir in the final. And so I think it was just kind of... People were very disappointed, I feel like. I, I, I was very disappointed. And not not because Vondrozova won, but because Svitolina and Jabir lost. You know, I I was rooting for them. Um, and... Um, I don't root for players often, you know? It was like their stories were really, really, really compelling. And I think a lot of people felt that way. And so um, so I think the very end of the tournament was a little, a little disappointing. But just, like, the quality from... The quality overall was amazing. And I... um, Yeah, I, I want to talk about, like, the, the big three. Like, uh, Ravakina, um, Sabalika, Sviantek as well. Because I think they're such major parts of the tour right now. Um. I guess we can start with like the the one who made it the furthest in the tournament, Sabalenka. She um so breaks through this year winning the Australian Open. Roland Garros loses a semifinal that she probably should have won. Wimbledon, I think this was more a matter of Jabir taking it away from her, but I think you could argue that she should have won this one too. She's struggled a lot in semifinals in the past, and after this a lot of people are kinda of saying, like, oh, the you know, she's choking again, the semifinal thing is back. What what do you think of that? I think the Roland Garros one was was definitely a, a situation where she should have won like a hundred percent. Although I do feel like um, while she's she's good on clay, is not her best surface. Uh, yeah, that's true. It unfortunately neutralizes well 
helps neutralize uh, her biggest strengths, which is the power and the, the speed of the, the weight of her shots, like in that in that regard. Um, but she should have won that one. I, I feel like there's no question if you five two and have match points that in that moment you have more than enough time to just like um, pick yourself up and just like say like no, like let let's do this, let's you know, this. like yeah. yeah. But the, the the Wimbledon final against uh, semifinals, sorry, uh, semi. So semis the quarters, semis, right? Against yeah. Shabur, yeah. I feel like this just Shabur, like all the way, because it was, it was a good match. I never felt, I never had a sense that Sabalinka played poorly in the sense that like she felt like she crumbled, like she would just like implode. Um, it was just the Shabur, Shabur just like, just like on this in the zone, like the entire like yeah. time after she broke, after when Sabalinka broke in the second set, I was like, oh, this is over. Um, yeah. I've seen this movie made many times. Like this is this is what's gonna happen. And at the end of the day, I was like, even um, after Rybakina won, uh, lost rather, I, I thought Sabalenka's this is Sabalenka's tournament to lose now. Like it's she's the heavy favorite. Like there is no way. But then she comes back, and the way that Jabril played after getting the break in the second set, the way that she fought that one, he may have kind of played something uh, mentally like. With Sabalinka, maybe kind of startled her a little bit. Maybe she was not expecting that. Maybe some memories came back, but I just feel like she kind of fought for it. And I just feel like Jabra was just too much to handle. Like the when Jabra is at his her best, like her varieties, like her drop shots, the volleys, slices, the way that she takes the ball um, early, and you know, just kind of is able to guide it through the court. Like she's able to like use Sabalinka's power against her. Yeah, um, and it's. I felt like that there wasn't much that Sabalinka could have done, especially because she would have needed a bit of a change of strategy, which is not her forte. <laughs> um, right. But in that regard, like she, in a way, kind of like Sinner, um, just likes to hit it hard, but um, it works for her, <laughs> as we've seen. But um, it, it definitely felt like Jabra, it, it, she may not have played the best match that she could have, but I think that a lot of that is because Jabra didn't really let her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Jabur is a better grass court player than Sabalenka. Yeah. Right? Like, I, yeah, I feel like you can, you can make that argument easily. easily. And yeah, I um, I, I feel like even if yes, Sabalenka has lost in like two semifinals this year at the majors, but I feel if she keeps get, she keeps getting to them, that's that's so impressive on its own. She's won a major, so we don't need to hear any more of the like she's a choker, like she's not good enough. Like she is good enough because we saw it in January. Um, and I, I also think if she keeps getting to the semifinals, like her game is just so imposing that like she's gonna win one. Like maybe, maybe she kind of blows another one or two, but like eventually, if she keeps making them, she's gonna win one because like it's just so hard to resist that power. Yeah, I would still put her as one of the favorites for the U.S. Open, regardless. because oh, like yeah, having won the Australian Open is a hardcore Grand Slam. When yeah, I feel like that's where she feels the most comfortable as well. So I don't, I don't. Really but past her like to 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 make it um Fiontek, uh won a tough one uh, against her last year i think she'd be ready yeah, to go back and and be her if, if it comes to that again but yeah, yeah. and just a, a little bit of a clarification just because like i had this conversation also with uh juan juan ignacio not too long ago um when we talk about the big three and the wta side don't worry we are not making comparisons like entirely <laughs> With the Federer Nadal Djokovic, because that's another world. It's it's the current big three of the WTA tennis that we're talking about. Like this year and the last year, it has essentially kind of felt this way, in which there's like these three women that are dominating, but 
we understand fully that these are not um legendary big three like uh well not yet <laughs> they could very well become a few ones but like they're not Djokovic, Nadal and Federer so don't worry <laughs> we we don't mean it in that in that sense right right I mean I've it's just kind of silly to me that people get annoyed about that like it's like they don't you don't own the name big three you know like you have you own the 20 plus majors and it's yeah that's right you can like look at that and like differentiate it just big three is like a useful term because like these three and and i i would say four with jabber now if um like you know depending a little on her consistency but like they're clearly elevated over the rest of the field so i think it's a useful way to kind of categorize the top players um and then i'm kind of looking at rabakina as well her her title defense ends with a a loss in the quarterfinals six one in the third to jabber um after winning the first set a really interesting stat about that match um i don't have the numbers exactly but um Jabur outsurfed Rabahina, um, which um, which is really interesting because I think Rabahina has the best serve on the WTA. Um, it's insane. I saw it in person um, in the uh, Australian Open semis against Azarenka, who is a phenomenal returner, and Azarenka could not really do much against it for a lot of the match. Yeah. Um, like, bro- broke a couple of times, but it just was not. Um, like, Rabahina dominates the serve return battle against almost everyone. Um and Jabur had to beat her pretty comfortably in the end. It was a, a, a really emphatic revenge win. Um, so what did you think about Rebecca in this tournament? Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch so much of her, like her, her final matches. Like, yeah, lost to Jabur. I didn't, I didn't get to see it much. But it's it's always tough to defend a tournament, right? Um, it's a Grand Slam as well. Like, this one has points. She's coming in, like, probably more pressure even. Uh, being <laughs> named as part of a big three in the WTA. She had a, a couple great tournaments um, this um, this year already. Uh, one Indian Wells got revenge against um, um, against Sabalinka for the Australian Open. I think it was bound to happen. I, it's not that that I didn't see her winning. I just felt like she wasn't such a, a heavy favorite. Like as in, you could have put it like for Djokovic, he, he has been for Wimbledon. Um, I thought she was a favorite. That she would have been my pick to win, I believe. Um, but it it's it doesn't surprise me all that much. I feel like she had a good tournament overall. I think she should leave it like happy with it. And I I do agree with you. I feel like her her service is the best on on the WT right now. I feel like it could be a bit more higher percentage on the first. But um, other than that, like I I do I do feel like she's going to come back and maybe win a few more majors. I feel like she she has it in her to win um a hardcore major. She, I would yeah. put her right back in the in contention again at the U.S. Open. Um, depending, even even if like her uh, summer hardcourt season doesn't go as well, I, Grand Slams are always a, a different beast. Uh, players can play terrible for two, three weeks and then come back and just like win a, a Grand Slam. So yeah, like in in terms of how her tournament went, I think it, it's kind of a bit of a, a weight off her shoulders. Like as a defending champion, it just kind of. You know, she had this experience now where she was a defending champion at a Grand Slam. And I think that's good learning experience. And I think she's going to take that and is going to be able to um, do it better next time when she has a chance. Yeah, I agree. And I think she, um, I, so I don't remember what the sickness was, but she had some sort of a physical issue that made her pull out of Roland Garros. And there are sort of questions over um, how, how much is that still affecting her at Wimbledon. So I think that... Um, 
if it was, that would maybe help with feeling that she didn't necessarily go down with her best stuff, right? And if she comes back next year and is fully healthy, then then things will be different. Um, and then kind of look, looking at Sviantec, our still our world number one. So I have like a very close to taking that away. But how did you, Um, you mentioned at the top kind of the way she battles through these three setters. Um, I mean, most, uh, I mean, against Benchich was just, she's down match point, completely looks like she's going to lose the match. I even tweeted, like, she has the capability to come back from this, but she's going to have to, like, pull a rabbit out of her hat because, yep. like, it really doesn't look like I saw that one. I saw that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and then she pulls a rabbit out of her hat with these, like, massive forehands, comes back comes back and, win, and wins. Um, and it kind of looks like that could be a turning point where, like, oh, when she lifts the trophy, we'll look back on this as, like, the moment. Um, and she lost in the next round. So I think there are kind of positives and negatives to take away here. Um, what were your thoughts on her performance? I, um, just coming back to like the conversation that I had with Juan as well, like just, we were kind of like in agreement that like if if Shantek reaches the the quarterfinal, it's a successful tournament for her. Okay. Grass is not, is not her best surface. Like she doesn't have as much, uh, experience in, in that one. And within reason, obviously it's like a very short season on grass. Um, not really much of her fault. And she has her technical, um, not problems, but like setbacks on grass because of the forehand and the way that she picks, takes the ball. Um, just how it's tougher to do the slice that she does on the open stance on grass. It's it's not the exact same type of thing. Um, it's just that her game wasn't necessarily built for for grass in that regard. But the way that she's played um, and the way she's she's battling it out, I think it's I think it's great. And honestly, the the way that she's done it on grass, where she's not um she wasn't a favorite. Where people would even say that, like, well, maybe she could even lose, like, before the second week, and she didn't, and she pulled off, like, one of those. I think she's she's growing into a player that is, even though she lost, I, I'd say that's she still didn't give good signs for plays just because she lost. If anything, like, yeah. I'd be scared, like, oh my gosh, like, look how she did on grass, like. Right against a player who plays well as well on those on this kind of surfaces, and she battled and tough toughen it out. She's becoming into that type of seasoned player where she's able to like find her best or just like find a win when it matters, like when she's when she's down and she's against the wall. And I think that's an experience that's going to be so valuable for her, like going into the future. And that she, this tournament is like just mostly full of positives like a negative it's as a player like you never really want to lose she also lost like two it wasn't in two sets that she lost to Zitalina three uh, she, I think she won a tiebreak in the second set yeah so that's still a pretty solid one like I mean maybe Zitalina would have been a player that like she would have expected to beat Zitalina yeah. was having the tournament of her life in a sense but like um at the same time I think that if you should be on deck like you you should she should have, she should brush that aside like almost the day after and say like like look i'm here now like and i know how to be I, I know how to win those matches now where i'm where i'm around when i'm against the wall and if you bring me to like a third set i know that i can still win this so like you're not even safe in that one anymore like it's over like the easy two sets uh i you either win too easy or lose too easy that's that's not not anymore the case like this it's shiantek isn't isn't for the long run now and i think that because she keeps the world number one I think she can even still keep it till the until the rest of the year. Like honestly, like yeah, it's possible. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. So I, I agree with a lot of that. I think like you and Juan Ignacio saying quarterfinals would be a great result. Fully agree with that pre-tournament. Um, this career best result at Wimbledon. I think she battled really well and mostly gave a really good account of herself. Um, it's her worst surface. Like you said, she wasn't the favorite. It was always going to be tough. But I, I think she could have won this tournament. I think, I think going into that Svitolina match, I know Svitolina played incredibly well. Hit amazing forehands, but I think you said it best. Like she would have expected herself to win that one. That puts her in the semis against Fondrosova. I think that situation is the same. She expects herself to win that one. I think, I think she would have won that one. Um, it would have been tough. You would have had she would have had to be really sharp, but I think she has the more imposing game. And then that would put her in the final against Jabur, who is great on grass and who beat her at Wimbledon in um I think twenty twenty one. Uh an amazing performance. I remember watching that and I was just amazed at how good Jabur was. But Shviontek has done really well against Jabur recently, even though they haven't played on grass in a while. So I think she probably likes her odds in that finals too. And so I I agree with everything you said, like plenty of positive takeaways here, but part of me wonders, like, if she beats Svitolina, like, would she have won the title? Yeah. Um, and I think, and I mean this as a compliment to her, because I, my opinion of Sviantic is so high. Yeah. Four-time major champion. Like, hard courts and clay courts. I think she's going to win Wimbledon in, in the future, I think. I think she's going to win the career Grand Slam. And so my expectations for her are really high, and I just wonder, like, I think she was capable of winning this tournament, even this year. And so I wonder if part of her kind of wonders like i wonder if like i wonder if i could have won that like um i i think i could have beaten jibber in the final as well you know um i i just wonder about that a little yeah yeah i think when you say like oh you're expect you're you see her like in in a very high regard like if you like she she probably puts herself like up there as well and i, I honestly especially right now i guess like watching her like pre-tournament as well and like post-tournament like uh in hindsight like maybe she could have won this but like in hindsight i'd say also Shiontek should probably be is probably looking at this tournament and okay no more like that's i should expect myself to win every match that i play from now on no matter the surface no matter the ranking i am i should win because like i feel like this is this is where she should be standing right now i think that like if you're if you're a coach if you're a team you should put up a team meeting like just pick up the, the 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 whiteboard and just write you win every match from now on like there's no more losing like as in a lot of pressure I, i'm not exactly like as in like this is the mindset that you you're putting like on yourself right now because like i don't think that it's, if you're on her team and if you're herself like i should say like i don't think that has anybody that's better than me right now like overall <laughs> on tour yeah there's definitely those two players like Rabakina and Sabalenka and Jabra as well, who are incredible challengers and they respect themselves a lot. But I don't think that Nadal ever expected to lose to anybody when he entered like Roland Garros or any tournament like in the US Open. I don't think he entered the court expecting to lose against Djokovic in Australia, seeing not a single time in his career, um, even though it didn't turn out as well for him. <laughs> but I feel like. It's yeah, that's the mentality uh, that uh, Shviantek should be having uh, right now. I think that's, and I think that's a healthy one. Like in the sense, like, um, she, 
should believe in herself that she can win on any surface. And I think that next year when it comes to Wimbledon time again, I think she she's not gonna be happy unless she wins the trophy. Like mm-hmm. that, that, that's where I think that she's going to be now. Like I feel like that's that's where I feel like the, the scary part is because I think she's she's she could elevate herself even further um, away from the rest of the field. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's like a great target for her. Like, okay, like this year, like I wasn't at my best, still had a career best result, maybe could have gone further. Next year I'm winning the title. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great goal. And um man, I'm so excited for the US Open. Like, I think with that that four, Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina, Jabur, I feel with a couple exceptions, I honestly feel like any of them could beat any of the others. Like I think I think Jabur is going to have a tough time beating Sviantek. And I think Sviantek is going to have a tough time beating Rabakina. Like, but I think besides that, it feels almost like any of those matchups could go either way, you know? Um, and so, like, I just want to see them all at the end of the tournament, you know? Exactly. Like, let's, let's have that be the final four, please, because that, I mean, it's not going to work out that way because, you know, tennis is chaotic. Um, but I'd love to see that. I'd love to see at least a, a matchup or two between those four. I think the WTA is in an amazing place right now. Um, with those four, like I think, I think we're starting to see rivalries develop. Like I think that I think that Jabir Rabakina quarterfinal was really, really good for tennis. Like I think seeing that um, that final matchup from last year again in the late stage of the same tournament. And seeing the result flipped like that, I think is fantastic. Like, because now it's like they're like scoring blows on each other, you know? Like they're both they're both landing meaningful results. Um, and I think that's great because rivalries are so good for the sport. And we're seeing that with Alcaraz Djokovic as well. Like Djokovic got Roland Garros, Alcaraz got Wimbledon. Like it's you don't know who's gonna win, and that makes it really, really enthralling, especially when you're fighting for big titles. So yeah, I'm just so excited to see how the U.S. Open goes. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I feel like the if the final four are like four or four semifinals, it's it's the sort of dream lineup that you've um that you that you would imagine like every Grand Slam with like Andy Murray, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. Oh, yeah. It's that type of a uh, hype that you'd get, and when yeah. it happens, it's 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 brilliant. But yeah, um. Yeah, it's. I feel like that's one of the things that it would be so exciting. Like, oh my gosh, I feel like our thrash would like explode if that happened. Uh, but yeah, that would be absolutely insane. But now that we just like having like this sort of like hype uh, about the U.S. Open and whatnot, like, and I think you mentioned about like the best of five format um, before, and I really agree as well. Like with the. Uh, the tweet that Juan Ignacio posted, like about how it, it the best of five really just lends itself to like a, a better narrative uh, than a best of three. And um, what do you, what do you think is? I feel like if people have been saying like a lot about oh maybe you should go for like from the quarterfinals onwards, I feel like that could be a schedule nightmare for the Grand Slams to like include yeah. that in. But at the same time, I feel like. If they only started off like finals, that's the only match of the day in, in singles. Like, I, I think that is still a positive difference if they do that. I know exactly, and it's I, like if you do that, not only differentiate yourself like with the narrative, but also every other tournament 
is going to be different from from that yeah. one. Like all the the grandsons are going to be the only ones to to do that if they they do so. Because right now, especially with the prospect of um, two weeks uh, masters uh, counting from like twenty twenty five and 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 so on, I think mm-hmm. it's going to be such a little difference like now from yeah. for from the grand slams the only major difference really is the it's going to be a 96 draw um with 32 buys um but at the same time like a player could very well win seven matches to win that title right it's like uh indian wells and, and miami right now um and yes it does feel different but for how long can it can it feel that different like i mean and yeah that the isn't that yeah here i didn't like because it was like I can't. This is supposed to be a four times a year feeling, not a six or seven or eight times a year feeling. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like the it should be the final, man. They should at least like try to implement the final and see where it goes from there. I know that when you when you're doing a tournament of that magnitude, when you're doing like a sports a sporting event, you can't just like take your chances with things. Like you really do have to like um, work on it and just put the money behind it and do research and convince a lot of people higher up that you need that, that the money is worth it. <laughs> but um, it, it's a project that it should be taken on and considered very seriously to be the finals of a Grand Slam, a best of five. Um, there is plenty of uh, women who uh, express that, not necessarily the desire, but like just the willingness to play like best of five if it ever wins to. Like they're, it's not that they're against it, but it's just like they're, they're not you know, it's not that they're for it, but they're also not against it. Like they they believe in themselves physically and mentally that they can yeah. do this. I I, do, I just think that there's absolutely no reason, and I think that it would be such a great move for the sport and for the WTA in general to put it up in like a best of five. I I agree. I mean, there's no reason for like, and, and the premise is sexist. Like, women they can obviously play the best of five format. They run marathons. They do everything that, that the yeah. men do. Like, this is just the only reason that things are this way is because this is the way things have been for a long time. And that initial premise was based on, you know, this incorrect idea that men are, like, capable of playing this format and women are not. Um, and so I think, like, and we see with the best of five, like, that Wimble- that final with Alcaraz and Djokovic, like, that, that was a moment, you know, that kind of escaped our little tennis bubble. And unless you have a three-set match that's, like, as good as it can possibly be or, like, is, you know, Venus versus Serena or just has, like, really, really compelling narratives. It's just not going to be able to, like, have the same reach. And I think that is not fair, and I think it would be better if that... If there were more best-of-five and if women were able to play best-of-five and had the opportunity, um, I, like, I'm open to, like, a bunch of things here. I mean, I think if you make the whole tournament best of five, like you're going to have a bunch of scheduling issues, but I think those issues are worth taking on. If you're so afraid of that and you want to make it just the final, that's fine with me. That's still a positive difference. If you want to split it down the middle, like um, when we talked to uh, Juan Jose after um, the 2021 US Open, we talked about this a little, and he said he likes the idea of like men and women. like Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. First week is best of three, second week is best of five, and so you kind of earn the best of five format. That's fine with me. Mm. Like, But these these big matches, it feels like they need to be best of five, doesn't it? Like, it's all... It felt wrong that after the tournament Jabur had, she it was possible to lose the final in as little time as she did. Yeah. You know? Um, that was barely over enough. Um Yeah. I don't know. I like I don't really see that change happening, but I'd really like yeah. to see it. Yeah, it's 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 gonna take like a really a really massive um movement to change that. Like I don't it's not something that's gonna happen. They like from you know like overnight but yeah and especially now it's not like the, the grand slams will have to come together and decide it because now they have like all the scoring systems the same and they try to go for more unity so it's not like you could say for example the u.s open would decide that they're gonna go best of five that's it's just not gonna happen anymore if anything it's gotten harder for this to happen but um right i, I mean the the format's getting shorter i mean best of five and doubles has gone away and doubles it's the extended fifth sets are gone everywhere. Um, so it's, we're not trending in the right direction here. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really unfortunate. Um, yeah. Um, but I mean, overall, fantastic women's tournament. I think I think there's some really, really exciting storylines heading into the the summer hard courts in the U.S. Open. Um, a, a, anything else you want to add um, before we wrap up? Not really. I think it's just excitement like it's uh interesting feeling now going back to the tail end of the season now because it, we know there's not exactly the tail end we're more or less like halfway but after the u.s open things slow down a lot for fans yeah. um so it's it's just interesting like this last stretch before the last grand slam of uh the season hardcore's are just excited for it um excited to be able to watch tournaments in a more reasonable hour probably because uh, eh, now that we're all in uh, in America, it's mostly going to stay about, you know, East Coast as well. So, sorry, Vonch, I know you're West, but, uh, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's about it. It's a really great tournament. And despite all that we've talked about and the, the, that I've said about, like, best of five as well, still, like, if you if you know tennis and you're a fan and you get into it, like, it's, it's still, like, really a wonderful um, tournament to watch and uh, really great stories as well. Uh, and honestly hoping that Jabra can put her hands on a, on a, on a Grand Slam trophy sometime very soon. So yeah, all the best luck for her. Yeah. I, I feel like the entire tennis world is kind of riding with her on that, um, uh, on that quest. So yeah, all, all, all the best to her there as well. Um, who knows? Maybe the U.S. Open. She made the final last year. She's she has what it takes, you know. Exactly. 
Yeah, so something I wanted to ask you was, like, as a Djokovic fan, and we can, like, go into this more later, but, like, did it hurt? Like, how was it for you watching the match? Uh, I watched a few of it, and it's, like, there's, there's always um, just this hint of, like, me wanting him to win. But yeah. at the same time, it's, like, I'm always, I've been gotten getting to a point of uh, my tennis fan life in which I'm just kind of, like, wishing for something new to come because obviously... Novak's uh, retirement is is not that far away either. Even though he looks super fresh, it's not gonna be on. It's not gonna be running forever. So, um, and it's it was just really exciting uh, watching Carlos win. Like I feel like he's uh, a guy that I can really get behind in the future. So it's 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 nice to see it. But I think what hurt more was was not even like Wimbledon itself was the fact that now he isn't he doesn't have a, another chance at the uh, calendar Grand Slam. Yeah, just like. Man, if he did it this time, I'm pretty sure he would have been in a much better position at the U.S. Open than he was in 2021. Yeah, I I thought about that too, and I like I kind of did want him to do it just because like that would like that's the one thing that would finally shut off all the haters. You know what I mean? True. Like, yeah. And and what I kind of wanted to happen, like you know, in fantasy land, was like I wanted him to win the calendar slam, get to like 25. And then just retire, and that, that would way, be brilliant. And, and that way, all his fans can like scream that he's the goat forever. All his haters are happy because he's finally gone, yeah. and like, and it works out for everyone. And like, I think in the end, it was just like calendar slam in this era is way too hard for anyone. Like, no. it, it you just can't do it. I think twenty like he got he got as close as he could possibly come without doing it because he did the four in a row, and he was twenty seven and one in two different calendar years, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, 2015 he um if he had won the french open i mean maybe it's a different like universe but he won three out of four and then made the final and then 2021 obviously but like it's just way too hard like way too many opportunities to slip off yeah and it's like in a way as well as a tennis fan like it just even beyond that like i feel like how awesome would it be to just like watch somebody do that like i mean the calendar grands happened like last time in 1969 yeah. So, yeah, and then happened in the women's side in 1988. For both of those, I wasn't even born yet. So it's like I kind of wish I could just see it happening, but it's just like it. It's it. It looks like even more impossible now. But who knows? Maybe if Djokovic decides that he's going to retire this year, Alcaraz could probably put a pull it off neck the next. So because nobody's going to challenge him. Like if if he looks at it, like it's like it's going to take some effort, and it can happen obviously, but it's it's going to take an effort to beat him. Like, anywhere at this point, yeah. Absolutely. And, like, maybe we can use this as an opportunity to kind of stop start talking about the tournament because something I was thinking is that I think that final is really going to be a wake-up call for, like, Sinner and probably Runa because, like, you you look at that semifinal between Sinner and Djokovic and, like, Djokovic didn't play that well. You know what I mean? Like, he he wasn't super sharp. Sinner was, like, Sinner could hurt him. You know, he took him to five sets last year. And you look at the way that match unfolded, and after Djokovic wins in straight sets, he barely celebrates. He celebrates like that was the first round. Um, mm-hmm. And then you watch what Alcaraz did to Djokovic in the final, and I wonder if that is going to leave Sinner thinking, like, I wonder if that could have been me, and how hard am I going to have to work to get to that point? Because I think what he did this tournament, yeah, he made his first major semifinal, and, like, I know it was a soft straw, but, like, that's, that's not nothing, right? But I think yeah. his... I think his performance against Djokovic, like, that's just not going to cut it. And so I wonder if watching his arrival 
be the one to do what he wanted is kind of gonna motivate yeah i think it's interesting how um alcara's career has unfolded in a sense because i'm before i didn't really used to think that there was much about like talent in anything like i thought it was just like mostly like in a sense hard work and yeah. passion like if if you work hard enough because we know that the vast majority of the top 100 has an insane amount of talent compared to the rest of the world <laughs> so it's like it's they don't hit like weak balls they're just like a bit of like a, a bit more a clutchness or just the yeah. ability of going down the line when you're like 30 40 or something like that it's just that it's something a little bit more mental it but yeah. watching Akras like play I'm just revisiting that and thinking like maybe there is something because this guy is, is built different like his his yeah. his mind works like the greats you know he he, he works like Sampras did and Agassi did and Borg did and Djokovic does and Federer used to he's like he does has this this unwavering belief that and he you know he when he loses a point you can see in his frustration not because he lost the point but because he he, he feels like he should have won it and it's like my dude <laughs> what yeah. happened and it's like you're in front, in front of Djokovic in a Wimbledon final it's your first like it's his my goodness gracious it's it's unreal like what that that guy is able to do like how much he believes in himself how much he like is comfortable being in that position and he wasn't and interestingly enough his body wasn't um comfortable in rolling arrows in the semi-finals he comes yeah. back and just like immediately like another five setter it, it's not like he made it off like in three sets and they could just be like oh maybe 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 if he went to like a fourth if he would have cramped no he actually survived yeah, the bathroom break, and losing the fourth set to come back and also save break point and just like oh my goodness that was unreal. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's so much to talk about there, but yeah, I think the any good place to start is kind of um the rate at which he's improving, and this has been very widely talked about. But you just hit on it there, like Roland Garros that match he was favored to win. Yeah, he Djokovic. Wins the first set off him pretty comfortably. He has some break points, but Djokovic could have won that set 6-1. Ends up winning at 6-3. Alcaraz has to fight tooth and nail for the second set. And he said afterwards that like the nerves and the tension, he was just on edge the entire time. And that was it. He had nothing else in the tank. Full body cramp. And then for the rest of the match, there's only one player on the court. That, like, that was five weeks ago. And he has said in interviews, like... Oh yeah, I'm like totally different now than I was then. That was five weeks. Yeah. Like, that's not very much time. He was not favored to win this Wimbledon final. He was playing Djokovic, the seventh time champion. He'd won the last four in a row, and he takes the first set off Alcaraz six one. Yeah. And then Alcaraz comes back and beats him. Like that. I cannot I mean, it's hard to think of too many mental achievements that are more impressive than yeah. that. I mean it, it... He was supposed to be like Nadal in 2006, like when he lost to Federer. He was supposed to be happy to be there, you know. Yeah. But he just comes in and just, just like, no, nah, I'm, 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 I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and it's, he does it, and yeah, it's just impressive stuff from from him. Like it's, the sky's the limit. Like it, we, it, it makes you wonder. And I know you, I just saw a tweet from you talking about recency bias, but I'm gonna recency bias myself anyway. It's just like. It's it's hard to see even like could Djokovic win another Grand Slam at this point? Like, what if what if what if Akras crosses him at this point? I mean, 
it's I'm not gonna say it's not impossible, but who knows? Maybe he cooks Djokovic in five in a semi or something like if Djokovic ends up dropping to third and then like comes into the final, I don't know, loses to a fresher or whatever, Medvedev in the US Open. Could happen. I mean, it's um it's this is definitely like in my head it sounded a lot more intelligent than I've been saying, but like I don't see Djokovic winning maybe like I think I would say like two or three more slams in the end. Whereas before this yeah. final, I could even like easily see another five. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, and I get the point you're making. Like I, I'll for the record, he's he's gonna win more. Like he's he's so good. Like he won the first two this year. He's ten time champion at the Australian Open. He could even win Wimbledon again next year. But probably, like I'll say, like if he if he and Alcaraz play again at the U.S. Open, like I'd favor Carlos in that at this point. Like it's. It's going to be very, very hard yeah. to beat Alcaraz anywhere. And I think this, and what you said about like the top 100, the difference is mental. There's a lot of truth to that. But with Alcaraz and Djokovic, the difference between their technical skills and everything yeah. else is gigantic. I mean, yeah. you watch Alcaraz and Djokovic play that final, and the way they defend, like, no one else can do that. You know, if you're, I don't know. Matteo Berrettini, you can give him the best nutrition, the best coaches, the best injury luck. He is never going to be able to move like that, you know? Like, Alcaraz, I didn't think it was possible for anyone to, like, out-defend Djokovic on grass, and he somehow did it, you know? Like, and that, and that is just not, like, a physical possibility for most of the players on the draw. I mean, you saw, did you see what Alcaraz did to Medvedev in that semifinal? I, I did. He was... That, I mean, it, it was, well, go on. I'll, I'll set my point afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it made me want to cover my eyes, right? Because it was like, I, for all we talk about, like, oh, uh, Alcaraz is such a terrible matchup for Tsitsipas, it might be worse for Medvedev. Like, Medvedev could have played that match a hundred times, and he might not have won any of them, you know? It's, yeah. Alcaraz is so good and so complete. And this is what we've said about Djokovic for, like, a hundred years now, that, like, there's some matchups you just can't unlock him. It's impossible, you know? Yeah. It's like what what I saw in against Medvedev is is basically a repeat of what happened in Indian Wells, yeah. but on a fast court. It's like it, it makes you wonder even like does Medvedev even stand a chance against Alcaraz anywhere at this point? Because it's like not on play certainly, right? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> but the way that um he couldn't he couldn't get out get out of his like his predicament on the serve return um. Uh, dynamic. He, he was returning across the serve, and that was no answer. He just couldn't do anything. And like Akras just was so comfortable that he could just throw in like an occasional server volley, and he did it several times. And he would just like win the point because Medvedev is so far away. He could he could he could have some tea while waiting for the ball come to come back to him, and just like decide which side he wants to drop shot the the volley. And Medvedev is not going to be anywhere near that that ball. No matter how fast he is, no matter how well he can um, anticipate where the ball is going to go, it's, it's just too far. And then he got back um, to the baseline and he just couldn't return <laughs> because it was coming way too fast at his forehand. And I think that was um, when you mentioned technic- technicality. It's like uh, technique rather. Uh, Matt Matt Willis, he posted something about on Twitter about how Medvedev's technique is just really isn't really helping him on the forehand side. And it's crazy how at 20 years old, Akras is complete technically, like 
strategically in the mind uh, side of things. It's just what's go- what's it going to take? Who who is going to do it? <laughs> I mean, you can point you can pinpoint like little problems with everyone. They say like this, it can be explored. But without Karaz, the best that I can think of is you can rush his forehand sometimes. But even still, like that's his best shot. It's like Alain Nadal. Like, are you? Do you are you brave enough to go to this forehand to break him? And and even if you can do it successfully for a bit, you're not going to be able to do it over five sets. Yeah. Um, like you see it with Nadal players try that strategy, and unless you're Djokovic, like yeah. let's say you hit your backhand better than ever, you do it for a set, but then either you start missing or you drop the ball short and you get destroyed by the forehand. Like yeah. it's, yeah. And man, with Alcaraz, I mean, there are so many things that make him special, but the return of serve. I think is the real X factor here because, I mean, you can start with the way he returns Djokovic's serve in that final. You know, Vont has talked about that with uh, Jack Edward on on Jack's podcast, but he he limits Djokovic to two aces and sixty two percent of first serve points won. And I know it was windy and whatever, but the Djokovic serve in this in the past few years, he serves everyone off the court. He serves everyone off the court. 2018 Wimbledon semifinal, he aces Nadal 23 times. He He's winning like 80, 85, sometimes like 90% of his first serve points. And Alcaraz limits him to 62%. Alcaraz broke him, I think, I'm trying to think, I can Google this, like four or five times. Mm. Um, he, um, It's crazy. And um, he was leaning the first, he was leaning to the right side on almost every serve. And we, we know Djokovic's toss is, like, unreadable. He can hit these tiny targets. He uh, He's one of the best spot servers ever. Um, and Alcaraz was just, like, in return game after return game. Here, I have the stats here. Yeah, 5 for 19 on break points. He won 74 points on the return. Djokovic won 56. Yeah. So he, this is a guy who can win the serve return battle against Djokovic on grass. No one has been able to do that yeah. in the past decade. And he's 20 years old. And that's a, a really te- a huge testament of like how important it is to focus on that area of your game, right? Because you, I think you've uh, you've commented as well, like on a few players who said they they um, they openly said that they don't practice the return of serve, and it's just Federer like Federer has said that. I know, <laughs> but like I mean, when you look at Federer's career, it's insanely good. Uh, oh, but. He got- he got away, but he, exactly he got away with it because he's Roger Federer. But even if, even still, if he had returned better in his career, so many times he could have broken serve like here and there um, to you know just win that crucial game or just get back in a set. Like maybe he missed opportunities. Like he, obviously, like anyone would take Roger Federer's career, <laughs> but still, like it's he could have been better just by that one little aspect. And yeah. People neglecting to see how important it is nowadays after we had ages of like Andre Agassi and Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal even, like people exploring like with the return of serve, like Dominic Team and uh, Daniel Medvedev. How can you not, how can you look at this and think that this is not an important part of the game? It's like, how are you going to win if you don't break serve? You, you can't rely on just tiebreakers all the time because you're not Karlovic or John Isner. It's it's really shocking. Like, I mean, uh, Tumaini Karayal of The Guardian did a piece pretty recently, I think during clay season, where he asked a bunch of players about, like, the deep return position and the return of serve. And he he got a quote from Tiafo that was similar to the Federer thing where he's like, yeah, I don't really practice it. And it's like, is that, do these people not have strategy coaches? Like, is their team not telling them what's going on? Because, yeah, we have seen Djokovic dominate 
for over a decade, and he's the greatest returner of serve of all time. And now Alcaraz has this has had this meteoric rise. Clearly, the best returner of serve of his generation. I mean, when you have people who can serve 130 mile an hour bombs to the corner, you need a good return to compete with that. You have to be able to neutralize that. And I mean, you see what Alcaraz did. And when when you can return well enough, I mean, you know that that match against Berrettini, I think, is a good example. Berrettini's got a, a massive serve, right? And he Alcaraz is such a good returner that I don't think Berrettini's ever going to beat him again. Like going into that match, people gave Berrettini a shot, and like he Berrettini wins the first set, but after that, he couldn't even get to a tiebreak. He six three six three six three after that. It's such a weapon if you can break anyone. It's constantly in their head. I have to make first serves. I have to make first serves. That does damage to you, you know? You're going to start missing. You're going to rush. Um, even if you serve great, you're going to get broken sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so I can't believe more players aren't focusing on that. And to to go back to, to Berrettini, just, I really like that player for some reason. I don't know. He's grown on me. But he's I bad. think just Berrettini is just a, such an intelligent player. He's just like very calm under pressure, even that he's he's able to pull it off. But you could see that his strategy relied on like I gotta hold serve because yeah, and he, he, because he's not gonna be able to break a lot. He needs to like land in for serves. Needs to like put his forehand um, in play and win the point fast. Um, his backhand was considerably better than it was in the past years, but he was it wasn't at the level that he could compete on the cross court to Alcaraz. That there was just no chance. Um, and you, you could see that. Um, the only real reason why Bertine was able to like make that match close is because he's 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 good mentally. But like yeah. a lot of other players wouldn't be able to pull that off. Like seriously, like with that, with a game like like that one, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. And yeah, I, I think it's gonna take um, a very inspired um, performance by Bertine to win against Alcaraz. Um, otherwise. And Alcaraz maybe to play like blow his best or get injured, <laughs> because it's on um on their on their best days like 100 percent Berrettini doesn't beat 80 percent Alcaraz like seriously, that's it right there. And I think, and it's the multiple dimensions in his game, right? I mean, with Berrettini, <laughs> and to an extent like Medvedev, like when you're playing Alcaraz, like when Alcaraz gets that surf back, they're kind of done. You know what I mean? Like they can't they can't hurt him. You know, Berrettini has the forehand, but. You get him on the move, and he's neutralized. Alcaraz, like, and Djokovic, and I think this is one of the main things that makes them so good, you return their second serve deep and to their weaker side, and that does not even guarantee that you're going to win the point, right? Because, like, they have this explosive move and, and these great backhands, so you can hit an amazing return. Um, For the people listening to this, go back and watch the highlights of the final. Fifth set, I think, 0-1 Alcaraz serving, and he is game point. Djokovic hits this backhand return down the line off a second serve. It's perfect. It's a beautiful return. He could not have hit it any better. Um, parallel to the line, but Alcaraz just like runs and does this sliding squash shot into his forehand, gets it back, and then ends up winning the point with a forehand winner. Um, so when you can like defend your serve, not just by serving well, but by kind of defending good returns, it's just so hard to hurt you. Um, and Alcaraz and Djokovic have that, and it's like he gives their games like a force field. Um, and for a certain player, it's just kind of impossible to penetrate that. Yeah, I think one of the the biggest things, uh, and I've already mentioned like how complete Alcaraz is in like all dimensions, but 
to, to go back, like some players that you've mentioned before, like uh, Yannick Sinner um, and Holger Rune. I guess you can put Tsitsipas and Kasper Ruud in the mix, even though Kasper then doesn't hate grass so much that he couldn't even wait to, to be out of that tournament. But that was hilarious. If we have time, yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's a surface that you can hate, is grass is only five weeks, so yeah, exactly. whatever. You should do a whole episode yeah. on grass. But yeah, I keep going. But yeah, I mean, it's when you when I when I look at Sinner, I think Farsh said it once. It's like he's a he's a good version of like a two point Rublev type of thing. Like he's one dimensional. But he's so good on the on the from the ground and that he you know can blast anyone off. But like, I was watching his match against Safulin, and by contrast, um, some of his match, a part of his match against um, Djokovic, and you could see in his eyes, like in the way that he played the match against Safulin, where he lost a set, by the way, is that that was his element. It's just like. I just want to hit hard and I want somebody to hit back hard back in me. So it's just going to like become like this like punch out contest and it's going to be a one-sided match, but it's going to look very impressive because they're going to hit the ball like as hard as possible. They're going to have to change the ball every three games, not seven, just because of how hard they're like destroying that, that ball. And then you come up against like a player who has like, who can hit hard, but is going to choose to use more strategy like a Djokovic. And you you could see in his face that like he is either annoyed or thinking too much about what he's gonna do next, or frustrated that like his shots are not producing winners all the time. It's it is the one thing about Sinner for me is is that idea that like I just I just want him to like find ways to win points in many different ways, like to to hit um more spot servings, like more uh, second serve, like with more more of like a variety or um, use maybe a back uh, slice backhand or something like that or just going to the net just like using a drop shot like using more topspin just try to find some ways to like use your ground strokes and then you can just I don't know use that as a surprise tactic just like just blast a forehand down the line just because nobody's expecting for that but like when you're expecting that at every shot it kind of gives rhythm and you know players like Akras, Djokovic even like maybe Rune I think they, they're really good and like getting on rhythm and just working like clockwork and Rune for me I think he just didn't believe I think Rune was what I felt Akras should have been in the final he was happy to be there like yeah I felt like Rune was just like he felt like I can't beat this guy but he tried his best I think he's gonna come back I feel like he's got a lot of talent that is yeah. unexplored he's, yet he's gonna win majors um, yeah but not it, for a while. yeah I think he could be like he could be number one maybe for a while. Like he could be like, yeah. I think I, I think he could like have some maybe three, four majors like in in a good period, like a two to three years. Like it wouldn't surprise me. I think the kid has a lot of game, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he's kind of similarly uh, well rounded. So Alcaraz, yeah. he doesn't really have a weakness. I mean, he's not. I don't know if he's as good in any department, but yeah. I mean, happy to be there. There's a point in that match. I think like third set. Alcaraz is like holding for four shoe or something, but they play this like cat and mouse point, and Alcaraz wins it uh, with like this this dink cross court, and and Runa like claps, but the way he claps was like it was like overly respectful, you know? It was like um, you know how Djokovic does that that clap where like he's impressed Runa, like 
he like lifted it up and it like wasn't even sarcastic and i was like oh dude you don't like you've tapped out you don't think you can win this um and um i think kind of the same thing with sinner against Djokovic, but in a different way like i think sinner tried his best but i don't think he was ever convinced he was going to win that match or even that he could i mean if you just look at um the break points he missed most of them are by uh missed forehands from neutral positions like mm -hmm. and i people have talked about like the forehand is error prone and i'm like it's supposed to be his best shot you know if you're making mistakes like that with your best shot then you have no chance um you have to be able to trust that shot and he couldn't so um i mean like that set point in the third set he hits a great return and he gets a mid-court forehand and he misses it by a couple of feet um like it it wasn't like you go for a winner and you miss it by that much. And it's like, oh man, like a bit more margin would have helped. But like, I respect that they went for it. It was like, it felt like he missed by a football field. Um, and errors like that just aren't going to cut it. Yeah. Um, but I, um, I kind of wanted to move on a little bit because I still want to talk about WCA and everything. For sure. And the rest of the men's tournament. But I feel like that final was so kind of all-consuming that like before we finish up on this part, were there any moments that stuck out to you in the final uh, that you want to talk about? The which one? The WT? Uh, no, no, I joke. Uh, yeah. Uh, I feel like the moment that stuck out to me a lot more was like the similarity between that and the Australian Open against Dominic Team, where he took like a bit of a a bit of a a, long, a length, like a longer break than normally would have been. And in my head, I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> If he goes on and, and wins this match, the hate is is going to be unparalleled on Twitter. But I mean, he lost, so I guess that that was basically the only thing that I was like on on my toes, like looking at like a Twitter like monitoring, like what are people going to say about this? But aside from that, like really, it was just definitely felt like Alcaraz was was fresher uh, physically, if not just by age, just because he's like younger. It just felt like he had the you know, the youthful movement, they just like running around, very explosive. Rajokovic is in his late 30s right now, mid 30s, really. Um, and kind of conserving energy, using it like in, in, in proper moments. But it, it's not like I felt the age gap in this match, but I feel like it's, it's not getting any better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's, it's starting to, I feel like Djokovic probably, is going to start to decline um maybe by mid next year towards the end i don't know what, when it's going to happen but i feel like it's coming close to to it uh, so yeah that's basically the the one last thing that i that i had to to think about which is great in the sense of like passing the baton because like you have Alcaraz on the rise and then Djokovic. yeah maybe maybe ending his career somewhat soon but who knows yeah it's interesting i mean i um uh, I mean, I'll go on record. I've said, like, I think Djokovic is, like, better than he's ever been. Um, and I think this match was kind of an interesting counterpoint to that, where, like, Alcaraz, like you said, Alcaraz kind of had more in the tank physically. He was able to, like, out-defense Djokovic a little bit. And so I think um, I think this match maybe demonstrated, like, maybe Djokovic isn't better than he's ever been. He's maybe more efficient at beating weaker opposition. But when it comes to someone who is as good as him, he maybe can't compete in quite the same way that he could in 2012 or 2015. Um, but, I mean, I, man, he still impressed me. Even yeah. he, Djokovic still has the highest peak in men's tennis. Like, the way, the, even even higher than Alcaraz, the way he won that first set, um, 
the way like that was it was like stunning and like i know alcaraz won the third set 6-1 but that was different that had a 27 minute game um that that set was a war that set took like an hour that first set Djokovic beat him like he was a junior um no no one else can can play like that still and it's and it's like he's 36 um it's crazy and so even though even though he lost he still impressed me um and then a, another thing that that stuck out to me was just like kind of that moment of catharsis for like the the fans of all the players who Djokovic has like beaten in these close matches because Djokovic finally lost another five set major final that had not happened since uh since 2012 at the US Open I think um he um he had a break point in the fifth which we don't need to dissect because I think everyone else is doing that had a swing volley missed it um you know won the first set had a set point in the second set and he actually like had a couple moments where it was like he choked a little bit, you know, and that just has not happened at all, which is why it's so frustrating to root against him for everyone, um, for everyone who does, because he never loses the way you want him to lose. And I think Alcaraz kind of beat him in the way that everyone was hoping someone would at some point. Um, so I think that was, I think a lot of the tennis worlds kind of felt like they needed this, um, whether tennis actually did or not. And so I think, uh, I think it's a very satisfying match for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely satisfying in a lot of ways. Definitely feels like a maybe a new chapter is finally beginning. Like this, yeah. Again, like it's it's tough to, it's very tough not to be afflicted by some sort of recency bias. It's very tough nowadays to say that this isn't happening. It's yeah. gonna take an injury. Arkara is really dropping his level for for yeah. for it not to happen at this point, which. I would. I think it doesn't look super likely, but you know, maybe it's gonna take Djokovic finally retiring for for it to happen in a, in a way. But I want to believe that Akras is is gonna keep going. So, yeah. And I I mean we can talk about the passing of the torch for a minute. I mean some people are like, oh, it's not a passing of the torch because Djokovic is gonna win more majors. I'm like, does that does that mean it's not a passing of the torch? I mean Nadal beats Federer in the 2008 Wimbledon final. Everyone screams changing of the guard. Then Federer wins two majors in 2009, and he wins five more, or, like, five or six more overall, right? Like, I mean, it's pretty clear that, like, Djokovic is nearing the end of his career, and Alcaraz is this meteoric talent who has won a bunch and is going to win even more in the future. I mean, I think that's as clear as it gets, really. I have no problem calling it a passing yeah. for the tour. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode. You know where to find us on social media. In fact... I uh, hope you find us on social media and you send your messages to us, any comments or anything. You just want to talk to tennis at any time. And we do want to improve our our content at every episode, at every try, every um, opportunity that we get. So, yeah, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Tennis and Bagels. And you can talk to us visually as well at Tennis Nation for Owen. Vonsch is at Vonsch V2K. And me is at Rollenberg Andre. So thank you very much for listening and have a good one. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.